feel good. First, what's that game? Is that technically a game winner? First one. But, uh, Question. All right, here we go. Smart. Looking. Looking for Tatum. Gets it in. Tatum takes it. Makes it. Edwards says, I am hot. Oh, man. Goes baseline, sends it back out to Smart. He'll try a three. Got it! Marcus Smart is so good. Marcus Smart is so good. Smart, same spot, same result. Haywood again comes away with it on the run. Bounce pass, Tatum! Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. My name is Ben Vallis, a.k.a. Brittle Gash. Coming up on the show, I'm joined by longtime friend of the podcast and all-round Celtics connoisseur, LaBird33, to discuss the Celtics now that we have a nice, healthy 20-game sample size. If you want to get in touch with the show, the best way to do so is just to comment on the Reddit thread for this episode, or you can find us on Twitter at Celtic Reddit Pod. And without any further ado, let's get right to it. Okay, it is now my pleasure to welcome back perhaps my favorite Celtics Redditor. It is LaBird33. Welcome back, man. How's it going? Hey, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you again. It's been a while since we've done this, so um, always good to get some active Celtics Redditors back on the podcast. So let's get right into it. So 20 games into the season, that's a sufficient sample size, I'd say. You could say we know this team now. So what have you learned about the Celtics team so far, and how do you feel about them from this point going forward? Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of positive, um, you know, kind of like aside from obviously the physical altercation that happened <laughs> with the whole team a couple nights ago. Sure, you know, it sounds like they were all <laughs> fighting with each other, kind of, kind of disturbing. I mean, it was it was snowballs, of course, but uh, you know, <laughs> dangerous, you know, dangerous stuff. <laughs> you know, some things never change. You know, Kyrie leaves, and it's still war zone over there. Like uh-huh. you never know, right? No, <laughs> it's been awesome, man. I'm loving it. I'm loving the season. Um, so I think before the season started. Um, I, I had said that I was really pre- expecting anything. I mean, I was expecting anything from anything from like 35 wins to, to 60 wins was on the table just sure. based on like how Hayward and Brown, uh, you know, played last season. That wasn't so great. Um, on paper, it seemed like we were removing, you know, five starters and replacing them with, uh, you know, downgrading Kyrie to Kemba and Horford to Cantor and then replacing guys like Morris and Rozier and Baines with essentially rookies. Yeah. So I, I could totally have seen this going really, really poorly. Um, I was prepared for that. But then on the flip side, the idea that Brown would make a leap, Tatum would make a leap, that you know Kemba would fit like a glove and step right in for Kyrie and we'd mm. just be spoosed sailing, um, that Hayward would be Hayward again. Like All yeah. these things, they've happened. So it's, it's, like it's amazing to watch. It's super exciting. And uh, I'm loving it. I mean, right now... I really don't have any kind of um, immediate concerns about the team other than I'm sure we'll get into this, but like, it seems that our bench is a little weak right now. We obviously mm-hmm. have a lot of, a lot of rookies that we're relying on, but I think a lot of those concerns also get relieved once Hayward, ret- Hayward returns because we'll have smart back in the mix as our sixth man that takes away minutes from people like Edwards. So I don't, I don't know, man, I'm loving it. I don't know how you're feeling. How are you feeling? 
Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to this podcast at all, I've been ranting and raving about this team since day one uh, because of everything you mentioned. But um, like, I think the the underlying factor of part of that recipe is chemistry. Like chemistry clearly means a lot and clearly goes a long way. And all of those factors you mentioned, I think if it weren't for the the chemistry improvement, then a lot of that doesn't happen. Um, you talked about Canberra a second ago. He's obviously quite new to the team, but he kind of, feels like part of the furniture already are you are you used to Kemba Walker as a Celtic yet I think that's a really good question so I think I'm a little different than most Celtics fans where I think for a lot of people once they see the promotional fo- photos of them in the jersey it's like oh that's our guy yeah, I love sure. that guy for me I always feel like I just even with our rookies I just I like to see them actually in action before I fall for them mm-hmm. and and then be like perfectly honest like I'm still kind of warming to Cantor <laughs> like it's yeah. Like, yeah that's Ennis Cantor's a Celtic now it still doesn't seem normal to me uh-huh. but uh <laughs> but but Kemba I mean I, I I maybe take took me like three games until I was like okay yeah this guy he, he feels like he belongs on this team he feels like he should have been here all along he's got that personality that is classic Celtic you know pride type personality so I think that helps a lot. He just seems really humble. He seems like a great chemistry guy. And honestly, I mean, the, the, uh, the slight, uh, that moment where we thought that he is, his season might be over, that was a huge part of it too. Because yeah. once that happened, it was like, okay, this guy, like we're all in now. This is our dude. Like it was at that moment, I think, and it's sad to even talk about it, but it was at that moment. I was like, oh my God, it, I didn't realize what we were potentially losing until it was like put in front of our face that, Oh God, is this another Hayward situation? And now he feels like he's he's one of the players. You know, he feels like he's definitely a Celtic, and I'm loving it. Yeah, it kind of feels like we've been through a lot together already. Um, and yeah, just the, the smile and the chemistry. Um, and I, to be honest, didn't watch a lot of Hornets games back in the day, but I was I've been really <laughs> surprised uh, with his defense so far. Like he's really bringing the hustle, given his physical limitations on that end of the floor. Like he's really bringing the defense on that side of the court so that's that's really good to see 22 points five assists five boards is, is what he's averaging so far this season you know not career highs by any means but part of that i think he has to sacrifice um to sort of to slot into to this team and allow the the jays to grow speaking of the jays Jalen brown obviously we saw Jalen brown have an amazing game um and, and kind of dupe uh jimmy butler a little bit last night how are you feeling about Jalen brown so far you know obviously last night and, and through the season this thus far well, as uh, some of the people on Reddit know, I, I hate Jalen Brown. I'm a big Jalen <laughs> Brown hater. <laughs> Public hater uh, of Jalen Brown. <laughs> it is no, known. I, I, I actually, you know, <laughs> it's silly because I've always, I've always actually loved Jalen Brown. I, I know people don't believe me when I say that, but I love Jalen Brown. And I think, I think I just was like a, like a, like a, a grandma or something, and just had very, very high expectations of him. Yeah. So when we, when we first drafted him, I mean, people a lot of fans like booed the pick they weren't happy with it and my initial reaction when we drafted him was okay I don't know much about this guy but from what I can tell he's really really raw he's you know there's a lot of skills he doesn't yet have but he's super athletic and he seems to have an awesome personality and an awesome mentality where he'll keep improving so right off the bat I was like this guy could be great five years down the line but just in the midst of those four years, it's like to have those that patience of you know, is it going to happen? Is he going to is he going to make that leap? I think you know doubt seeps in every once in a while as you're kind of watching them from day to day. Sure. But uh, I mean, I, I've tried to stay pretty consistent in believing that he had a potential to be a fringe star or a star. And last season it was tough because I felt like 
I kind of look at these guys like um, I kind of look at it like it's almost like watching the stock stock market. So I think <laughs> I think like your expectations of these guys can fluctuate with you know quarterly earnings reports that come out between here and there. Sure. So like when you first entered the league, my reaction was in five years he could be the next Jimmy Butler if everything goes right. And then after like two or three years, you know, actually after year two during the playoffs, it was like, this is definitely happening. He's on the way. I mean, he just averaged 18 points in the playoffs. This is going to be amazing. Then year three comes and it was a little disappointing. Like he kind of had a little bit of regression last season. Um, It didn't seem to be making progress in certain areas that he hadn't made, you know, the certain areas he had struggled for in season one and season two, he was still struggling in season three. And at that point, I kind of changed my expectations. I was like, I think that he might just cap out as a fringe star or maybe never even get there he might not even be a, a full-time you know starter who knows he might be continuing to come off the bench next season uh-huh. so my expectations changed and then this season it's been like night and day like all i think you probably saw the uh kevin o'connor posted a video where I he did. kind of really went to specifics on the things that he's improved on and it's i agree 100 percent. the things he's approved on is amazing like he, his his ball handling is night and day better it's like shocking how much better his ball handling is it's almost like so (laughs) it's almost like when i used to play basketball i was a kid and my dad always told me i had to work on my left hand he's like you gotta work on your left hand (laughs) so he would like he would like tie my my left my right arm behind my back and make me dribble with my left hand and i was like i was always thinking to myself this is crap i don't want to do this this guy's a pain in the ass (laughs) and then you know I was a kid, so privately, when I was shooting around by myself, I would be working on my left hand, but I almost feel like that's what happened with Jalen. Like, he spent two years of Kyrie Irving, who's supposed to be the greatest, like, ball handler in the world, uh-huh. and somehow his handling didn't improve, and then somehow, as soon as Kyrie leaves, Jalen's, like, an amazing handler. It's, a, it's weird, but... <laughs> beyond, I love it's it. It's like, like, almost like he did it out of spite. It's like, you know, it reminds me of... Yeah, but anyways, beyond that, like his his finishing at the rim has really impressed me. Like he used to just kind of keep his head down and drive towards the basket and not really have an awareness of where he was going. And uh, it's like the most recent games I've watched him. Like he has so much control, his his control of pace and going into the towards the basket and actually taking contact and finishing is he wasn't doing that before. So that combined with his ability to create shots and just his overall just like. His uh, his IQ seems to be higher this season. So across the board, it's been awesome to watch, and uh, it's great. Yeah, I mean, we know he's a, a genius and a scholar with all of his you know public talks <laughs> at, at MIT and, and Harvard and whatnot. So it's nice to see him applying uh, that IQ to to the game. Uh, um, we saw like a couple of times just last night, even against the Heat, like you were talking about his control getting to the bucket. He was bodying, I think it was Bam Adebayo, like just taking him to the rim, and then he has that really patient sort of pause and up fake hesitation before finishing. Like that is a very useful tool in his in his tool belt now that he's never had prior to this season, um, and he seems to be busting that out regularly against way bigger dudes. Um, you talked yeah. about the, the Kevin O'Connor video. I watched that and then I added a deep dive into the stats. And you know, speaking of Jalen Brown's ball handling, he's shooting 64% on shots where he takes more than seven dribbles prior to that shot. So his ability to you know use his new handle and get to the spot that he wants and then and patiently get that bucket, 64% field goal percentage is amazing. And, and I think I didn't jot down the percentage from last year, but it was, it was not noteworthy at, at all. Um, it's really amazing to see. It it actually kind of it kind of mirrors 
um, what we were seeing from Hayward early in the season because it was the same thing with Hayward last season. Obviously, he was going over the injury. He couldn't attack the basket. He, he was like shying away from even trying. But at the beginning of the season, the first eight games he was playing, that was like an awakening too. It was like, wow, Hayward is able to get to the hoop at will. He's taking contact and finishing. And now Jalen's doing it as well. I'm really excited to see what happens when like both of those guys are healthy and playing together. Oh, dude, I cannot wait for, for Gordon Hayward to come back. We're going to get to Hayward uh, in just a moment. Jalen Brown signed that uh, contract extension earlier in the year. I think it was $115 million if he, uh, if he man- manages to achieve some of those incentive um, bullet points. How did you feel when the contract first went down? And how do you feel about it now, given that we've seen a bit more uh, Jalen Brown sample size of the new Jalen Brown, if you, if you will? Yeah, when that uh, contract was first announced, my honest reaction was, I really hope Danny Ainge knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so, we're all there with you. <laughs> so, I mean, really, I, and it's hard to say that without people thinking I'm hating on Jalen. But really, I mean, if, if you're paying a guy $100 million and your expectation is that he's going to continue averaging 13 points with 46% shooting and 34% from three and 65% from the line, and be your sixth or seventh man. There's no way you gotta. There's no way you can pay him a hundred million dollars. That's insane. So my reaction was, I've got to trust that Ainge is seeing something in the off season that we're not seeing, and has the confidence to pay him that money. And now my reaction is, well, Ainge got a steal. Like he's playing so damn good <laughs> that, like, uh, I think you messaged me saying that he'd get the max at this point. I, I didn't. I didn't agree with it before the season. But at this point, like, if he continues to play like this, yeah, he absolutely would get the max offer from someone. He's 23 years old and averaging 27 two with shooting splits of 50% shooting, 38% from three. Like, yeah, he's a max contract player at this point. So we uh, we apparently got, got a bargain, and it's amazing how quickly things can change because a month ago myself and others were looking at that and saying, what the hell are we doing? This is nuts. Yeah. I, uh, I'm definitely a Danny Ainge apologist. And so when I see things like this, I, I try and see it through Ainge's eyes and, and try and like take the optimistic side, even if I deep down feel otherwise. And I mean, that, that was a tough day to be on NBA Reddit because everyone was, you know, dissing the Celtics, dissing Danny Ainge and, and Jalen Brown saying that was a ridiculous contract. And yeah, I'm to be honest, it, it kind of felt like that at the time. But yeah, like you say, it now kind of feels like we, we got away with something, a steal, if you will. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And his percentages, if you look at it, just compared to last year, everything, every statistic has gone up in, in, in the right direction. So it's really good to see. And like even as recently as the Team USA performance, I thought he was, I mean, really the whole team was underwhelming, but there was nothing that sort of jumped off the page as far as his performance there, other than maybe an increased ability to defend big men. Um, and yet, you know, a few weeks later, a few months later on the NBA court, completely different Jalen Brown and got the dude wrapped up for, for three and a bit years. So it's really exciting. I have to give credit to those fans who actually watched the Team USA games because there was a few that were saying, hey, Jalen's his handles have improved. Sure. But my, my whole thing is like, unless I'm seeing it on the NBA level, I, I don't care. Like you can tell me someone's doing great in summer league or doing great in preseason or USA basketball. But until I see him doing it against actual NBA players in regular season games, I'm not a believer. So I was a little slow to admit that that was true. And now I'm seeing it. But your, your comment about Ainge just wanted to touch on because like, I feel like every time Ainge does anything, there's a huge backlash and him calling it like, what are you doing? Ainge is crazy. But yeah. what, how can we be, how could we possibly doubt, doubt this guy at this time? Like everything he's done, like the Markel Fultz trade, people freaked out about that trade. The Jalen Brown pick itself, people freaked out about that. Like his trade of, uh, 
sorry, I'm drawing a blank right now, but there's <laughs> there's dozens of things that this guy has accomplished that in the moment people act like Ainge is slipping and is losing his mind, and then it ends up being proven that oh yeah, he actually knows what he's doing. So that was kind of my take at the time when we signed Jalen. I was like, I, I'm just gonna trust Ainge that he knows what he's doing. He's he's gained my respect and my faith in him. So. We'll just see what happens. Yeah, trust in age. I'm pretty sure there's a Reddit user whose name is trust in age. So shout out <laughs> to that sure. person. They, they know what's up. Uh, Jason Tatum put up another inefficient shooting night last night, going 6 of 20 from the field, yet had another plus minus explosion, finishing with a game high plus 31. So like despite the early turnovers and the many missed shots, he clearly had like a winning impact on the court for the Celtics. So I ask you, Larber33, what... What is Jason Tatum doing to win us games? Like, why are we such a net positive when he's playing despite like some of the ugly aesthetics? Yeah, so uh, you you mentioned that you might bring that up on the podcast. <laughs> so I I tried to do a little research on it, and sure. you know I I think first of all I think like plus minus itself is kind of a a, a silly stat without context, and I think that uh, I think a lot of fans they hear it and they know what it is. It's just because it's pretty straightforward. It's the, if people don't know, I'll just kind of define it. It's the uh, it's how the it's how the team did while the players on the court. So if a player is plus thirty one, like Tatum was last night, it means that his team outscored the opponent by thirty one points while he was on the court. But I don't think people really like go beyond that and really think about the context of how it gets to that point. So uh, like, if if you don't mind, I would just I I wrote down the notes of what actually happened in the game, and we can kind of talk about how he actually uh, awesome got there. Sure. So he kind of, he, there was like five stints in the game that he played. So he was in there for about five sections of the game. So I think people don't really, they don't really think about how it actually gets to that number. So the way it works is the first quarter, he plays the first six minutes of the game and we're down 11 to 16. So at that point when Tatum checks out, we're down by five. So he's a negative five at that point, right? Sure. So then without him, they actually end up going down eight. So he comes back into the game. And they go on a run. So when they were down eight, he came in. And by the time he checks out, we're up 13. So that's a plus 21 swing there. So that plus 21 points minus the five from when he was negative five, that now puts him at plus 16. So then he checks out again. By the time he comes back in, we're only up seven. So we actually subtracted five points from that lead. But once he comes back in, we go from a five point, we go from a seven point lead to a 16 point lead. Now we're up plus nine. So, I mean, I can keep going through the whole game, but <laughs> essentially what happens is like every time he checked out, we, the lead shrunk. Every time he checked in, the lead grew. But if you actually really think about why that is, a lot of times I think it's just about who's on the court when he's not on the court. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, when Tatum's not in the game, he's being subbed out for someone like Wenamaker or Javante Green or Carson Edwards. And you also have to think about who's, on the, who's also checking out when Tatum's checking out. So a lot of times I was looking at the actual most popular lineups that we've used, and most of them include Tatum because he's actually leading the team in uh, minutes. But one of the most popular lineups that we've used, and it's a really small sample size, but it not only has Tatum out for Ojale, but it has uh, Kemba out for Wanamaker. So I mean, if you think about that logically, obviously if even if Tatum's struggling, and even if Kemba's not hitting his shots, if you take those two guys off the team and put Wanamaker and Ojale in, obviously you're taking a huge downgrade in talent. So you have to always think about who's actually in and out, depending on uh, you know subs. 
And obviously, because our team has a real lack of depth at this point, I would say, I mean, we're relying on minutes for a lot of rookies, guys like Edwards and like Javante Green and Carson Edwards, all these guys. Um, that impacts that plus minus. So when he sits out, they have guys that are losing these leads. And that comes back in, they gain that lead back. So it's just making it seem like Tatum is, you know, all world. But <laughs> if we actually talk about his skill, he actually might be... And he actually might be the best player on the team right now uh, as far as a two-way player. And I'll explain it like this. So, so he actually, he might actually be our best two-way player right now. And you hear that, and it's like, how can he be considering our efficiency? But the first thing you got to look at is his defense. So his defense right now has been, it's been outstanding. I don't think it's getting enough credit. Um, I was looking at like, and again, these advanced stats are just as flawed as the plus minus. In fact, they're probably impacted by plus minus, but mm-hmm. His, his defensive win shares were, were top on the entire team. His uh, defensive rating was ob- obviously better than Kemba, but also better than Smart. It was better than Jalen Brown. It was better than uh, Ojale, Cantor. Um, and there was actually an article I was reading yesterday. I think it was Celtics Wire or something. Um, and what they had said was that both Kemba and Tatum, from an offensive standpoint, when they're on the court or versus off the court, we're 10 points better. So when, when Tatum is on the court, we're about 10 points better offensively than when he's off. And the same can be said about Kemba. But on a defensive end, it's a totally different story. So on a defensive end, when Tatum's in the game, defensively, we're about six to eight points better uh, versus when he's off. But it's the opposite for Kemba. So when Kemba's in the game, our defense is a lot worse. It's about 10 points worse. So the argument that they were trying to make is that if you're looking at like actual impact on both ends of the court right now, obviously Kemba is huge for our offense. Obviously Tatum's huge for our offense, but only Tatum is actually impacting defensively um, in a positive way. And that's not to say that Kemba's doing poorly. We were talking about that early. He's, he's, you know, I think he's doing an admirable job for his size. But I think the thing with Tatum um, they have to keep in mind is that he might not be the best one-on-one defender, but if you remember like go back to 2008 when we had KG. The great thing about KG is he had uh, the length and the mobility to just disrupt every team's offense. And I think in a really small way, we're seeing that with Tatum. Obviously not on the level of Garnett. Garnett was defensive player of the year. But I think with Tatum's length and his mobility, he's getting in these passing lanes and he's disrupting everything the other team does. So when he's not in there, that's hurting our defense. And on the offensive end, um, I saw a really good quote from, um, this was on Reddit, a Reddit user, um, this is kind of your gimmick, but... <laughs> no, go for it. <laughs> no, Very uh, on brand for this podcast. <laughs> right. Let me find this uh, quote right real quick. Let me see what he said. Okay, so tech, tech support Larry brought this up. And can you pause there again? Sorry, I keep yeah, messing yeah. up. No, that's okay. Yeah. I'm just writing down the timestamp. Go for it. So... Uh, Celtics user tech support Larry brought this up. Um, and his, what he said is that it's crazy that a 40% shooter draws so much attention from the defense. Teams are actually starting to blitz Tatum when he has the ball. Not a knock on Brown, because he's an all-star this year, but Tatum is never alone like Brown is for those open kick-out threes. Tatum would be shooting the ball so much better right now if he was getting clean looks. And I think to his point, I remember this from when um, Ray Allen was on the team. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, obviously Ray Allen, one you know, the greatest shooters of all time, but... <laughs> And actually watching him like nightly from game to game, there was quite a few times where he actually went through cold spells. Like I remember this was weeks at a time where Ray just wasn't hitting shots and people started worrying that 
maybe Ray was finally over the hill. Yeah, I remember. But but even in those cold stretches, he made such an impact on our offense because he basically was the world's greatest decoy. So when he was out there, the other team had to give him defensive attention. They had to run at him. They had to make sure that they were you know, not leaving him open because he was dangerous. And so once he was out there, that left open space for Pierce to drive and do his thing and left open space for Rondo to do his driving kicks. It basically, our offense was, even when Ray was sucking, it was so much better when Ray was on the court. And I think because of Tatum's um, offensive skill set, I think we're seeing the same thing. So he might not be so efficient right now. And I think as the season progresses, he's going to get so much better. But he's still our, probably our, right now, he's our second best offensive offensive skilled player, right? So like, I think you would agree that he's the one that's able to create his shot at, I mean, at will. Um, you can't leave him open because he's a dangerous three-point shooter. Sure. He has a size to shoot over anyone. So I think even when he's struggling to shoot, our offense and everyone else on the court is able to do things that they can't do when he's off the court. So that's yeah. kind of my really, really long-winded answer on that. No, it's a, a very interesting take. And I think a lot of people, myself uh, included, admittedly get stuck with just the, the typical box score numbers, like shooting percentage, things like that, and would consider maybe on paper that, that Jalen Brown, sorry, that Jason Tatum isn't having the best game or the best season so far in terms of offensive efficiency. But then you break it down like that. And of course, not only does it make a lot of sense, but it, it thoroughly explains the the plus minus explosion that uh, that we mentioned earlier. So really interesting. So shout out to Tech Support Larry there. Very on brand for you, Larbird33, to, to <laughs> shout out a Reddit user. I also want to um, shout out user Smart Celtics who wrote, I don't think people have talked enough about how much Tatum's defense has improved. Much more consistent, really working the passing lanes, better rebounder and better on the ball. So yeah, working the passing lanes there, which I think... Um, you know, aligns with the disruptiveness that um the disruptiveness that that Tatum brings to the court, not necessarily showing up as as your typical defensive metrics, steals, you know, blocks, things like that, but obviously have an effect on on how the team plays on the defensive end of the floor. So moving on to Gordon Hayward, this is a spicy addition that will again get to our team at some point, hopefully in the next week or two. You know, we saw against the Heat yesterday, the team's really humming along at both ends of the floor, generally speaking. Add a guy like Gordon Hayward, like basically prime Gordon Hayward, you know, as we saw earlier, the first eight games of the season, almost back to Utah form. How are you feeling about the re-addition of Gordon Hayward into this team? And like, do you think we're going to see a noticeable difference right from the get-go? Well, I would say that one of the things I was concerned about last season, and I obviously I came on here and I talked about it and I wrote a lot of Reddit posts about it, uh-huh. was the idea that there was just too many mouths to feed, right? So we had, I think there was like seven guys on the team that you could argue wanted to be a top scorer. It was going, everyone from Tatum, uh, Kyrie Tatum, Brown, Hayward, all the way down to Rozier. These were all guys that needed the ball and, uh, to be effective. And they wanted, and I think that caused lots of chemistry issues, actually even more so than than uh, Kyrie but this season obviously we have only like four four real guys that are offensively potent there's you know Tatum Kemba Hayward and Brown and there's not there's still not a lot of examples of teams that have had four guys that they've managed that were all able to take you know 15 to 20 shots per night there's just not that many shots to go around so one of my concerns before the season was like are we going to be able to balance all four of them and I think that concern is, I think I'm, I'm losing that concern just because I, I think that 
we've the very 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 small sample size we've seen of these guys i think they've only played like a game and a half together considering that like uh brown was hurt for a little bit and then hayward got hurt sure then there was foul trouble like we've only seen really a game and a half of these guys like actually playing together it seems like they're going to be able to manage this you know it seems like they're all going to be able to get their touches they're all going to be able to uh, coexist and so that concern i think has gone away and i actually now i'm i'm pretty pretty pumped because i think that's going to mean once he returns that uh, Smart will be able to, I think I mentioned earlier in this podcast, but I think that's going to mean Smart's going to be able to go back to the bench and take the majority of those bench minutes from guys like uh, Edwards, who just isn't getting it, getting it done right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. I still, like, part of me still just wants to see what happens, like, how are they going to really, you know, do the shot distribution? Because right now I think Tatum's taking, like, 20 shots per game. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe Hayward takes a little bit of that. But I think it's probably going to come from the guys on the bench that uh, will be getting less minutes. So it, sh- it should work out. I'm, I'm hesitant to say that it definitely will. But, um, you know, it, it seems silly. Like, I, I, I seem like I have a silly uh, concern there. But we saw it last season. And actually, Ainge kind of admitted it that like, that was the primary problem last season is there was no hierarchy. And there was just too many mouths to feed. It's essentially what it was. I think four is a lot easier to manage than seven. So it should be okay. And. Yeah, I'm just excited. I'm excited to have him back no matter what. I mean, no matter what, I'm excited to see him come back. It just might mean that maybe Tatum gets a little less opportunities to get in a rhythm and get his groove going. Might mean that Kemba has to take a few less shots. What's your, what's your, uh, so like, I'm curious to see, like, what is your expectations? What do you think is going to happen? I'm a, admittedly, my expectations are insanely high, maybe, <laughs> maybe too high. So in the first eight games of the season, the eight games with Hayward on the court, guess who had the best net rating in the league? It was Hayward. <laughs> it was the Celtics, uh, team-wise. Oh, right, yeah, 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 they had the best net rating in the league by far. Uh, in the 12 games since Hayward has been out, the Celtics have had the ninth best net rating in the league. Obviously, you mentioned there were some inconsistencies with our lineup during that first eight games. Um, Jalen Brown was obviously injured for a few of them, but the effect that Hayward has on the court, similar to, we're just talking about the gravity that, that Jason Tatum has on the offensive end. I think that Hayward adds to that, but probably has some more complementary factors to his game for the rest of the team uh, more so than than Jason Tatum I think he's old enough and wise enough and and smart enough to have been watching during this period that he's out of the out of the the team injury wise um, and and apply some of those smarts to to the team Um, so I'm really excited to see him back on the court I think that he's the perfect player to fit into our current dynamic yeah there's going to have to be some sacrifices as far as shot attempts per game but I think some of those will come from Kemba. And I, I think that while they're young, Brown and Tatum, they're smart enough and they've seen a lot as far as their experience last year with, with Kyrie and, and Morris and Rogier. They, they know what they need to do. They know what sacrifices they need to make to, to factor and welcome Gordon Hayward back into the team. So I think it's totally different than last season. So like last season, obviously, there's been all these rumblings about how players, and that probably means someone like Brown was a little upset about losing a starting role to Hayward, but that's not going to be the case, I mean, this year. We've already seen it. They've been able to coexist, but just very, very small sample size. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm, like, I'm extremely excited to see Hayward back because like, the games he did play, he looked like he was by far the best player on our team. So his, his ability to actually, like, um, not only, I mean, he was shooting incredibly, he was getting to the basket at will, but his uh, shot di- uh, distribution, his, his passing ability is, might be the best on the entire team. So I think that opens up everything. You know, it opens it up for everyone. Um, to your, your question about like guys having to sacrifice, um, one thing I'm really curious to see is who plays at the end of the games. 
So, like, I think there's, you know, the idea that we're going to have Kemba, uh, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, and a big man without Smart on the court at the end of games seems a little uh, crazy to me. I mean, obviously, Smart has been huge for us in late-game situations. Sure. So, the idea that we'd have the big man sit in Hayward, uh, and sorry, the big man sit in Smart in the lineup... With like, I guess that means Tatum is our center and Hayward is our power forward. I have a hard time believing that's going to happen. So I'm really, really, really curious to see what Brad ends up doing in those situations. And I keep saying that like, there might be situations where it makes sense that Kemba is the one sitting on the bench. It seems nuts because he's our, you know, he's our star player. But I think you can easily slot in Smart at that point guard position and have um, Brown, Tatum, Hayward, and a big man like Tice, who's been awesome defensively. And you're not really sacrificing anything on the offensive end because you have three guys who can just score now, like Brown, Tatum, and Hayward are amazing scorers. And you're not sacrificing anything defensively either because you'd have Smart in for Kemba, who, kind of mentioned earlier, the stats are showing that our, as good as he's been, he's still small. He still struggles to be an impact defender. So mm-hmm. it's going to be super interesting to see if there's going to be times where Kemba is actually sitting on the bench. I don't know if Brad would do it. I mean... It, he seems like the kind of guy that if um, if he, we asked him to sit on the bench in late game situations, he'd be okay with it. I mean, it seems to be like he's all about chemistry and, and doing what's great for the greater good, but that's still something I'm curious to watch. Yeah, we used to see that with Isaiah Thomas back in the day, and that was with a far less offensively potent remaining four players where in right. you know, late game defensive situations where we needed to stop we'd see brad you know put isaiah on the on the bench in favor of marcus smart so yeah and you, you mentioned the like the personality aspects of, of kemba walker seems like obviously don't know the guy seems like he'd probably be okay with it if it means we're going to walk away with a w um so yeah that'll be really interesting to see we did go small against the nets recently when we went down big it was the game in brooklyn and we went without a center. I think maybe we had Grant Williams at center, who's you know uh, far too short to really play the the center position long term. And that right. was the the most successful portion of the game. Obviously, we walked away with a loss, um, but it was a highly switchable defense at that point. I think Kemba was on the court, um, but we were getting a lot of we're generating a lot of turnovers and generating a lot of points in transition as a result. But it really depends on you know if you can't really do that against a team like Philadelphia or Utah that have like a big dominant center so i guess it depends on the, on the game situation there but very interesting that, that might be the, the most challenging aspect of of welcoming hayward and then later smart back to the team in some sense like it's it's awesome because we have we have what's now appearing to be a clear pecking order i mean that's what we didn't have last season yeah and it's pretty clear that there's five guys on our team who are our best five guys and i actually could probably make the argument for every one of those guys to potentially be an all-star including smart like sure. it would not shock me if smart was an all-star but we're talking about two guards and three small forwards. So I think if we're going to be able to um, go small, I mean, that's an awesome, awesome lineup, but there's going to be cases where like we're playing against a team like Philly or something. And it's gonna be interesting to see how they, how they react to that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be cool to see. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the playoffs. Hopefully we can run guys like Embiid off the court who has had um, well-known and well-documented conditioning problems. Uh, before we move on from Hayward, user Durantula man posted a boston.com Celtics news article Quoting Danny Ainge on Toucher and Rich, and he said that Gordon Hayward will probably practice with the team this weekend. Quote, 
I don't want to get ahead of myself and get too excited about it, but I think he's progressing really well. So it does seem like, not to get too speculative, but we are going to see Gordon Hayward back in green, back on the court, like well before Christmas. There's a We're going to get to the upcoming schedule in a second, but after the Sixers game next week, there's like a six-day gap between the Sixers game and the Mavs game. And I, I think maybe that's when we'll start to see, um, you know, murmurings of Hayward returning because he'll have six days off to essentially practice with the team and and sort of you know get himself back into shape and, and ready to play so gonna be interesting yeah I, I don't think I ever answered it in one of my rambles here but uh <laughs> I think you were asking like how how quickly I thought we'd be able to reincorporate him oh yeah as sure. far as like his his uh, his skill set like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and is actually better than he was obviously he was shooting amazingly but um he's had more time like there's no reason why you couldn't continue to be working on his conditioning yeah, and, his, exactly. and his explosiveness so like it wouldn't it wouldn't be too surprising if he came back and he was actually like dunking even more than he was before <laughs> like you know attacking the basket even more um if he does come back i, I mean obviously i'm keeping a track of when he you know the news on when he might return i was hoping that if he was going to come back in early december it would be before the philly game like I, i'd hope he'd come back like the in well the problem is the indiana game is back to back with philly mm-hmm. i wouldn't want to have him come back during that philly game i'd rather him get a couple of like warm-ups so you're probably right you're probably right that if he's not going to come back against like cleveland on monday uh-huh. and have a couple warm-ups then he's probably not going to come back until after philly i was hoping though i was hoping that like he'd have like a, a, a warm-up game and then he'd be like ready to go and the team would be running all cylinders when we were playing philly but i think it's probably a pipe dream yeah look i probably spend way too much time sitting there wondering and, and hoping for when uh when hayward's going to come back so look hopefully it's soon and, and i can move on with the rest of my life uh, before we wrap up this podcast there's a lot of talk um particularly at the the center position uh with regards to, to gaps and, and missing pieces for the celtics so in your opinion like are there any missing pieces and if so what are they yeah that's always been what we keep seeing people like tweet out and yeah. post an articles that they need a big man. I mean, Tice has been really, really good. I think, I mean, he's been for what we need. I think he's been awesome. And I still keep hoping that time Lord continues to improve. And like, we're seeing, he's obviously still kind of raw and there's you know aspects of his game that aren't polished yet, but he seems to be improving slowly. Right. So I don't, I still, I don't really agree that we have to go out and get a big man or anything. I think the only thing that, we could use is it seems like we could use some guard help, but I think that like we keep saying, I think once smart gets moved back to the bench, those minutes go to him instead of someone like Edward. So I don't know if there's really anything in particular that the team needs. I mean, they could potentially use a little bit of vet help on, on the bench, but I mean, right now there's a really good balance. And once Hayward comes back, being able to balance the minutes between those guys, I think is going to work out. I don't know if I would say the team is like a favorite to win the title this year, but it, I, they're a genuine contender from what I see. I mean, this team has, like I said, there's, there's what we thought we had last season where we were going to start the season and have four all-stars. That's what we have right now. I mean, it didn't happen last year. We had one guy play at all-star level and a bunch of guys who disappointed. Uh-huh. This year, we have four, five potential guys that look like they're all-stars this season. And so it's, there's not much that they really have to do other than addressing their bench and I don't know if there was really an urgency to do that. Only thing I could see them doing is maybe midseason some buyout candidate, just some you know veteran that they can rely on for some additional minutes. But as far as like making any kind of trade, I don't see that there's a need to do it. I don't really think there's a trade out there that they could make anyway. So this is probably it. This is probably what we're going to be working with, and I'm pretty happy about it. 
Yeah, it's kind of, it's difficult to answer, right? Because 20 games into the season, you know, that is typically a good sample size. And yet it's been this segmented season where, you know, there's a few games without Jalen Brown and then obviously a huge stretch without Hayward. And now we've seen a lack of, of Marcus Smart. Cantor was out for a while there. So it's been 20 games, but it's actually been difficult really to assess the team as is over a, a long period of time. So maybe we can readdress this in another 20 games time before yeah. the trade deadline and we'll be able to answer it um, a little more accurately. We'll see. Yeah, I would say like it's not something you have to worry about right now, but something to keep in mind is that uh, both uh, Cantor and Tice, they make about like 5 million per year and they have restrictions on when they can be traded. But <laughs> technically as mid-January, so next month, mm-hmm. um, they can both be traded. Not that we need to or want to, but it's something to keep an eye on. If we really start thinking that, hey, we just need one more piece to kind of push us over the end, over the edge, then they could potentially package Cantor, Tice, just from a financial standpoint, mm-hmm. just needing those guys to get to a 10 million mark. And then you use someone like Romeo Langford, who is still you know an interesting prospect, and then potentially that uh, Memphis pick. You have a package where you could take back like $20 million mm-hmm. in, in salary. And potentially get a really good player. So, I mean, if they wanted to get, you know, someone like Click Capella, if that guy becomes available, something like that. I mean, I've, I'm not really getting into specifics on people, but like if they get to a point where like we just need one great defensive center who's better than Tice and better than Robert Williams, I think they're going to have an opportunity to do it. I just don't know if we really need to. I think we're going to be all right with this current group. Yeah, and meanwhile, Reddit user Fatboy858 wrote in the post-game thread after the Heat game, Robert Williams' offensive rebound was really impressive. And like his game all around yesterday was really impressive. Um, small sample size again, but I'm kind of ready to just write it out with, with the Time Lord and see what happens. <laughs> he's like He's definitely showing some interesting flashes and we've got a lot of young guys, but not really in a rush to really contend this year like if it doesn't work out we can roll it back again in a year's time kind of want to see how it works out with Robert, Robert Williams and like generally a few of our young guys Carson Edwards is another one yeah it, I'm, I'm way more interested in seeing what Robert Williams can do than going out and trying to get some kind of veteran big yeah. man like and so any opportunities he can get to get these minutes even when he struggles it doesn't bother me it's the same thing as like right now when Tatum's shooting 40 percent I'm so giddy that he's getting 18 shots per game. I love that. It's just like, this is going to pay dividends down the line. Like, sure. he needs these opportunities. I've been begging him. I've been crying about this for two seasons. Like, I just wanted to see Tatum get these opportunities. And it's the same thing with Robert Williams. Like, I'm totally fine with this guy kind of struggling through these ups and downs because guys like Clint Capella weren't Clint Capella like the day they started playing in the NBA, right? They they had took time to actually get some lumps in. Mm-hmm. And so he might end up being the player that we were going to try for trade for anyways. And you know, I kind of it's it's way more fun to see what he can do and what kind of progress he can make. I think. Yeah, agreed. So we've got the Nuggets tomorrow, which I personally I need this win. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that my one friend in Sydney who is an NBA fan is a huge Nuggets fan, and he's been putting shit on me for well over a year now, given the the recent record against the Nuggets. Nuggets tomorrow, and then uh, we've got a brutal back to back paces and sixes later in the week, and I think there's a Cavs game. Somewhere in the middle there. Clearly didn't do my schedule research before this podcast. Um, how are you feeling about the, the week coming up? I think that we could we could lose one or two of those games. I mean, right now, it, until Hayward gets back, we're not going to be running on all cylinders, and it's just kind of the ups and downs. But overall, I'm feeling super confident about the team. I mean, the, the progress that Jalen Brown is making, I think he had like, what, he said he had like back-to-back 30-point games. He's been freaking amazing. Yeah, And then... Uh, just just seeing Tatum's progress as well, like, I I'm, I feel like we can beat anyone on any given night. There's going to be dips, but the difference this season is that 
last year, there was all this other kind of drama hovering over our heads with you know the the potential free agency of guys guys like Morris and Rozier and obviously Kyrie, uh-huh. and eventually the Anthony Davis you know thing that clouded over the entire season. Yeah, that once we had those kind of dips, and because of Kyrie's personality, I think it just infested everything. It was hard to really feel comfortable. But if we lose tomorrow to Denver, it's not like I'm going to freak out. It's like we're we're going to be totally fine. This team has the mentality, and they obviously have the talent where they're going to continue to play at a very high level. Right now, we're on like a 61-win pace. I still probably figure we're going to win somewhere in the range of 50, 55 or something. Sure. But, I mean, we're going to be right in the thick of things, and this team seems like a genuine contender. Yeah, and it's just fun, right? Like compared to last year, it's just so, so good much to fun. just enjoy. Like even the losses, there's been a few like quote unquote good losses where you walk away not feeling particularly bad about the team and, and therefore life in general. And that um, compared to last year where we were just miserable and always like scram- scrambling and, and clamoring for some sort of optimism in this sea of, of despair. Um, it's yep. just it's so good to finally just be able to sit back and relax and enjoy all aspects of the team. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I was a big Kyrie apologist last season, but I did not miss that guy at all. I mean, honestly, just the the idea of having this malcontent guy that's constantly going to the media and causing trauma. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the big thing is that I love that we don't have a flat earth quack as the <laughs> yeah. as the face of the franchise anymore. It was like kind of embarrassing to go and tell I live in Seattle. So telling people I'm a Celtic fan, the first thing they would say is, oh, you mean the guy doesn't believe the moon landings? You know, <laughs> yeah, real? That's it's tough. like, yeah. So getting over that, like, just the, obviously last season sucked. And this season, like, everything's been so positive. Like, I, I'm always a pessimist and, and kind of thinking that the other shoe's going to drop. So I just hope that I don't jinx us and tomorrow someone gets hurt. But yeah. right now, like, <laughs> right now, it's it's been really, really positive And it's been so much fun. Like, I'm loving this team right now. And I, I can't wait to see what happens. Me too, man. That seems like a really good place to wrap it up as well. Labo33, you are an absolute legend. Thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate it, man. I apologize to your, your fans if I turned them away in the first two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. All good. Um, we should do all this right. again sometime soon. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Ben. See you. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Thanks again to Larbird33 for coming onto the show. And shout out to Jackson and Joe, our usual co-hosts, who couldn't join us for this one. We'll be back in about a week. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace.